Welcome to the Morecambe Bay podcast with Nigel Thompson. Just listen to this. It's probably one of the quietest and certainly one of the most isolated places to live. Sunderland Point at the mouth of the River Loon juts out into the southeastern corner of Morecambe Bay. Mia Wilson grew up here and told me about life in a village that's cut off by the tide twice a day. It, it was a place where children had free reign to just be go wild and be in the be in the sea or be in the fields and um, and it was really safe. There was no question about um, what time you had to be in or it's like a, a, an end of the line place. You know, you have to have an intention to go there or you get or you get lost there. But f- for me, yeah, it was, it, it has been so formative for probably how I approach things. You know, I felt very sort of secure and, but also knew there was a bigger world out there. And the time when I left, I left when I was, or my parents moved when I was about 13 or 14. And that was the right time for me because I wanted to be out and about. I wanted to be able to be on the train to Manchester and do all the things that teenagers do, which, and it, it, you know, that's about the age when you start to feel like you kind of hemmed in. But what what I particularly remember about it is growing up with uh, Margaret and Trevor. And Margaret is a well-known local figure. She, I mean, she was, if she she still isn't, I'm not quite sure if she still is or not, but she was the auxiliary coast guard for, um, for Morecambe Bay. And I remember when I, I'd gone, I was at university at drama school in Cardiff and I had the world service on about two in the morning and her voice came on the radio. It wasn't a good thing. And unfortunately she was talking about what had happened with the cocker pickers. Uh, it had just yeah. happened. It was just that moment. And she was involved with the rescue. And so it was kind of that, that world came into my Crushing adult world God, then yeah. just, yeah, just from it. And it was so, yeah. um, you know, it's, it, it's the thing that really yeah. people remember about Morecambe Bay who aren't from here, isn't it? They, 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 um, associate with this area but obviously there's more to it growing up in Sunderland Point you obviously you've got to set your life I guess by the causeway and can you get across to Overton or, or, or not so was that a bit of a hindrance did you find yourself having to dash home from school or sorry I can't meet you tonight because I can't get across there's a high tide was, was that a problem it was just a way of life so you never thought I mean we were aware of it you had the timetable but it was you had there was always a contingency like you had a friend or a relative on the mainland you could uh, get to or there was another route called the banking or the embankment where you can walk from Overton around the side of the fields and if the tide isn't too high it's just that bit of elevation that means you can walk around the edge and avoid the tide but that was we didn't really do that so often maybe because the tide was was often in and it was kind of you maybe you just let the tides have a little bit of influence about how you're going to live it wasn't something I really I think it's hard to think nowadays. Yeah, you'd have to adjust to it, but at the time, it was it was just a way of life. 
It always feels fragile when you go there because obviously with the erosion as well, the point is getting shorter and shorter because of, because of the sea. When, you, when you're living there, you, are you aware of that? That you know, on a high tide or winter tides, we've had some storms recently. You know, was that in your mind or perhaps in your parents' mind that you know next morning there could be a different landscape out there because the sea may have claimed or reclaimed some of the land? It was more that you were kind of prepared for things, so you knew if there was going to be a storm or a tide, you'd put the um, uh, you'd have like storm boards on your front door or your side door that would pre prevent a bit of flooding with some uh, sandbags. So you'd have a sort of layer of sandbags and a board that would just prevent water coming in. And I, I don't ever remember there being a, a problem. It, it was a place full of wild noises anyway, because there's a lot of bird life there. You know, you hear people go to look at the birds there, like marshland birds, wetland birds. But you always hear the birds and rope off the masts of boat whipping against a mast. It was magical. It's a magical place. And it, but not in a sort of twee way. There's an eeriness to it. There's a bleakness to it that is part of its beauty. People who live there have a commitment to it. They love it. You know, they love the isolation. They love the, um, I suppose, the, just the general feel of the place and feeling like you can just batten down the hatches and stoke the fire up and be away from things. I think there's a lot of that. So when, you, when you moved away, was it quite a culture shock? I mean, you, you got this paint this lovely image of the soundtrack of your of your childhood. When you were moving to, I mean, I don't know, Lancaster's not that far yeah. away, but you know, it, it, the, the tranquility isn't the same as Sunderland Point. So, did did that take quite some time to get used to? Do you think? Yeah, we moved away. We moved only to like the quay in Lancaster, so it was another watery scene. But it was much noisier for different reasons. Like they used to have the pie farm food factory. If you remember that, you might not remember that. It was, a, uh, a, a far, it was like a, they made like grain for cows and That's things. Right. Yes, yeah. And it had, it had a very particular smell. It, it, very rich, I think is a fair description. Rich and malty <laughs> and sort of grainy, yeah. Yes. And, and they used to get like huge lorries would come off probably off i don't know from ireland or, or wherever it, early in the morning about five or six and they would deposit the grain and then they'd be they'd beat out the um the end of the containers with beaters and you'd hear from like six in the morning like <laughs> and part that was quite, i think it's just something you get used to wherever you are so even though i wasn't living in a metropolis it was different but i was very much in favour of living in a busier place at that point when I was in my early teens. So I was, I was happy to adjust. The people, the places, the bay. This is the Morecambe Bay podcast. You told me before one of the pieces you've done, one of the pieces of work you've done for five years, spending time in New York teaching. I mean, can't get further away from Sutherland Point than that, can you? How, how did that come about and how was it? Yeah, well, it came about, gosh, probably because I was desperate for some work that was um, enjoyable and trying to be an actor and not, and not having having much luck with it. I think I, I did a, a, a TEFL training, that was it. So I decided to go and learn how to be like a, an English language 
uh, teaching English as a foreign language. When I got that, I just started looking for jobs. And I think I intended to go and live in Berlin, but um, my partner at the time, he'd moved to New York to work in the news. He was a, he's a, he was a, well, he is a photojournalist. So he went to work for a news agency in um in New York City and I got I this job came up so I went and joined him not only was I in New York City with my I had my teacher friends and people from the university but also I was meeting lots of journalists and real kind of hats you know people who worked across the news from kind of like war correspondents to paparazzi you know the real kind of a broad gamut of 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 career path and we lived like in, a, in an artist's studio so it was very transient and the, the man who owned the building was like a sort of art celebrity from the 70s he'd kind of gone over there from Germany in the 70s and bought up uh, like old buildings in Brooklyn really dilapidated buildings and then transformed them into living spaces it was I mean New York is such a particular place it's kind of a culture shock like I could never have imagined it's so different to Europe definitely it took them a long time to accept me that I was just quite sort of open and a bit silly yeah. you know I was, I was like a bumpkin that was it I think that's how I could say it you know it's like bumpkin in the big city did you tell them where you came Wait. from did you, did you say that home was you know, Sunderland Park, Morecambe Bay, or... Oh, well, those conversations no don't come and... up. No? No, those conversations, it doesn't happen like well, that, because oh, people will just kind of cut you off. <laughs> you don't get a chance to explain. <laughs> no, without being really dismissive of, of people, I try, I'm trying not to be general, because it, it was just something that was marked about it. I think it's about what a city is like at that point, and what people have, what their ambitions are to be there. So a lot, you know, rent's incredibly expensive. So if you get a sort of good, a nice place to live in a shared building, and um, people want to feel that you're not going to try and encroach on that or threaten whatever they've got, and right. it's and it's more, it's just more dog eat dog, I would say. Yeah. 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 So in this way, where I'm trying to sort of give you a, a do these people justice without saying that they were snobby there was it was more about being kind of distant and you know having boundaries yeah, and them not yeah. slightly sort of not yeah. letting themselves open up because it's risky because yeah. probably because of their own experiences what where i was yeah i mean I, I kind of kept in touch with these people down the years as well it's more it's just sociologically interesting to think how people get along with each other and the reasons why they might not get as long along as well as you, you might assume yeah. so this thing in new york city like i was very much you know quite open-hearted um friendly and it's not a very sort of urban way to be you know and I, I'm, I'm not afraid to make fun of myself and be self-deprecating and all that and i think that's sometimes seen as a weakness in that culture right. that why would why would you highlight a negative thing about yourself you know why would you i think that's just a, a difference in our culture that that we have when i mo i moved to london more recently so i was trying to be an actor and a writer and keep that going and i lived in um i lived in different places but one place i lived was a warehouse which is a, a kind of thing that happens now because rent is so expensive in London you have huge 
uh, swathes of young people, not even, not even that young, you know, going into middle age, living communally. So, you know, ten, on average around 10 or 15 people living together in a building that's been made for like a workshop building. Mm. And because it has that status, it means you're not really supposed to live there legally because it's not doesn't have quite the right fire regulations and it's not official, but it makes your rent a, a, that more, a bit more affordable. And that's the main reason people do that. So you tend to get, you know, young people trying to make it incredibly creative and hardworking. They're in London for a reason, you know, they're not just there just passing the time. They're really trying to make something. And, you know, I, I, I could only do it for so long. And then the lifestyle for me just was, it was too much, just too expensive. <laughs> and, it, and it takes time to kind of establish yourself and, you know, really accept that maybe what you're trying to do isn't going to make a living. So it's, you kind of keep on it for a while. So did but, you get to a point where you thought, this this is it, I'm going to have to cut my cloth now and come back up north? Is, is that what your position Kind was? of. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it was more, I was doing lots of different um, self-employed jobs and quite often not getting paid for them yeah. with no recourse. So, you, you know, you would say uh be offered a job where you have to so many things that i did but it could be something like driving driving artists for a festival mm. being like you know kind of artist liaison or something things like that working in events running bars i think they were the main kind of thing it was like the what you call the gig economy and the events industry that's yeah. there there's because it's not regulated mm. and because things happen very quickly it's, it, you know, a lot of people just not getting paid for their work. And, and I, I didn't have any kind of like financial safety net or beneficiary to keep me going when, when things like that happened. So it happened it, after it happened so many times, I just couldn't really see how I could have regular work where I, I actually knew my rent would get paid. It's just, it's stressful, you know, very, very stressful kind of living like that. And, and then also, you know, you're living with, 10 or 15 other people you're sharing one bathroom and there's no privacy because you're just living in like partitioned walls yeah. so you you know you can hear people snoring and cooking at all hours and it's like in some ways you can get along with that for a bit with earplugs and, lo and yeah. lots of patience but yeah, yeah. yeah af oh. after after a little while i don't I know for that <laughs> imagine lockdown in a place like that you'd uh, you would uh, probably go mad wouldn't you that's that, that's not good so you brought yourself back to the northwest and back to back to Morecambe Bay. What because it's home? I suppose so. I mean, I suppose like my family were here and at home. You know, needed to earn some money quickly to get myself back on my feet. I've got yeah, family and friends are here, and I love it. I do love this area. You know, um, got everything that I could wish for. Really, I feel very happy to be from here. Very sort of fortunate. And you're a celebrant, probably show my ignorance now, but I'd never heard of a celebrant before. Just tell us what that entails. So a celebrant, I, I, I'll tell you how I got into it and then that might describe it better than I, I can in a, in a media soundbite. <laughs> it started off where I had um, I'd suffered quite a few losses, like quite a number of about five people that I knew had committed suicide in a really short space of time over about was it about five or six years 
and then and then after like eight years there have been another few more people and it seemed there was this thing like what what's why people going in these tragic ways and so so there was this you know this flurry of loss but also going to quite a few funerals in a short space of time and some were wonderful and some were not so wonderful and then I thought mm, I wonder if I could do that job you know I think it'd be wonderful work being able to sort of celebrate someone's life and help their people close you know do do something worthwhile that uses my skills because so, I like writing and you know done quite a lot of writing before so and I started this was probably going back about three years I, I just started talking to people and sort of it's palpable when people come out of a service how they're feeling you just see it on their faces and their body language if it's good they're relieved and they're relaxed and if it's not been right you can see a clenched jaw and it, it yeah there's a, i've got lots to say about this so it's probably another <laughs> that's probably another podcast <laughs> but yeah it came out of yeah suffering some uh, some losses and and becoming very interested in that kind of work and thinking this fits in with stuff that i already do and, and what i want to do in the future and i've never looked back and i'm i've formed some wonderful friendships through meeting with those people you know, in times of COVID, there are so many restrictions placed on people before they die and the, you know, the added upset and grief of not being able to touch their family or, you know, friends. And then when they have a funeral, it's restricted again and might not be feeling, you know, and there's no wake where you can go and relax. It's, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done with people, probably because I get to hear about someone's life in detail. Because when you're really young and energetic and the world feels like your oyster, you kind of think, well, you know, by the time I'm so-and-so age, I'll have some kind of stability and I will be living with the hoi polloi, some kind of glamorous lifestyle. And it's not, it generally doesn't work out like that. And I think also, you know, the, there was a financial crash in 2008. And so that kind of sorted that <laughs> for me. But I, what I would say is I feel so lucky that I have been from this area and it's somewhere that I wanted to come back and that I feel very, I have so much affection for, you know, my family are from around here and that's another podcast. <laughs> that's another one. But yeah, full circle, full circle, and I'm happy about it. Mia Wilson, who spent time travelling all around the world, now back here in Lancashire. This is Nigel Thompson. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Morecambe Bay podcast. Until next time, enjoy the bay. Follow us and get in touch. Search Morecambe Bay podcast on social media 